0: Was there ever a spectacle like the 1893 Chicago World's Fair, a happening so happening that it pioneered the Ferris wheel and the Hoochie Coochie, as well as offering visitors not one but two genuine Irish villages? Art historian Ema O'Connor guides us through the swings and roundabouts in her recent book Art, Ireland and the Irish Diaspora, a transatlantic history of Irish art. Over the four decades between the two world's fairs, Chicago 1893 and New York 1939. It's the story of an emerging and surprisingly international Irish art world with champions on both sides of the pond.
1: The two rival Irish ladies running the Chicago World's Fair were Lady Ishbel Aberdeen and a woman called Mrs. Ernest Hart. Lady Ishbel Aberdeen had been the viceroy's a wife, uh, the Viceroy in Ireland in 1886. They came back again a few years later. And Mrs. Ernest Hart was a doctor's wife running the Donegal Industries Fund. It's a great story. It's the first time that an Irish village was built. There was only meant to be one. There ended up being two. There was fierce competition that ended up in the newspapers, actually, over the Blarney Stone. But the real thing was the representation of Ireland and the real Irish people who were brought in to make lace and make butter and essentially run the villages. It was a very important representation of Ireland to the expat community in Chicago at the time in Lady Ishbel's Aberdeen's village, they had a mock-up of the Blarney Stone and they were selling it as the Blarney Stone. And of course there was a lot of rivalry between the two women. So she went to Colonel Culthurst. Who owned the Blarney Stone? Who wrote a letter to say that is not the real Blarney Stone in the village? And of course, that ended up all over the newspapers. It was all, um, it was all a bit of a laugh, really. But at the end of the day, they both did their job. And in fact, Lady Aberdeen's actions in Ireland brought an awful lot of money into Irish cottage industries. It was very good for women. In fact, it really brought a lot of money in for the lace-making industry, for instance. self-admiring Lady Aberdeen. I have great uh, admiration for her. I really liked um, Mrs. Hart, but I have a huge affection for Lady Aberdeen. She was the person that turned Dublin Castle into a Red Cross hospital. And that was the Red Cross hospital that James Connolly was brought to in 1916.
2: I was really captivated by the story of an art world that to us seems insular, but in fact was hugely connected to the Irish in America.
1: I began research for the book in the summer of 2013. I applied for one of the writer's rooms in New York Public Library and took myself off for the first time in my life for three months. I found John Quinn's papers, which were fascinating. John Quinn was, um, well, he, he was born in America, but his parents were Irish. His mother was from Cork. His father was from just outside Dublin. And John Quinn became a well-known lawyer and art collector, specifically Irish art collector, uh, with contacts with every artist and every writer in Ireland at the time. And because of him, it meant that other galleries in the 1920s began to import um, uh, the work of Irish artists and sell it very well, Helen Hackett being the first one. Helen Hackett ran what was a very famous gallery in New York. She came to Ireland in uh, the summer of 1929, and I'd just like to read you a piece she particularly wanted to meet, George Russell, A.E. He, at the time, was up in Donegal. It wasn't easy, after several hours we discovered him, care of Mrs Law, Marble Hill, remote and far from the world. Mrs Law's cottage and oasis in the desert, everything in it reflected culture and discrimination. And once more, that unforgettable experience to listen to A.E. talk. I remember this sensation six years before when I met him for the first time in Dublin. To listen to A.E. is to hear monastery bells softly pealing. It is twilight and all else is still and low reverberations soothe and caress you. The mere sound of his voice carries you off to lands unknown. I became entranced with the music of it. I forgot to listen to what he was saying and A.E. was always interesting. I was reading from... Helen Hackett's journal of her visit to Ireland in the summer of 1929. I found it in the family archive in the basement of a house in Washington, having done some research online to find the family. It has never been published before and it is published in full in the book. And it makes fascinating reading in
2: terms of the the culture and the activity at the time in, in Ireland. How does it feel to come across a gem like that when you're researching? For me, It's like she breathes life into a chapter of Irish history that can often be quite wooden in the telling.
1: What fascinated me about finding the journal was not only her description of the art and artists, but her description of the social mores at the time, a time that we understand to have been very poor in Ireland. She was eating the best of food and drinking the best of wine and buying the best of silver, so it shows you a whole other side of Irish life that I certainly knew nothing about as an historian.
2: I loved the way she kept getting distracted from her quest for Irish life and just going shy for antique silver.
1: That's fantastic. I'd love to know where that silver is actually
2: now, you know, it's the real Miss Markle and me. One of the things that I discovered from reading your book is that John Yates, Daddy Yates, father of William and Jack B, the artist, did a runner in old age and ended up in New York.
1: He did. John B. did a runner on money raised, interestingly, by Hugh Lane and Sarah Cecilia Harrison to send him on holidays to Italy. His daughter, Lily, Susan, was going to New York in the summer, that summer of 1907, to sell lace at an international fair organized by John Quinn dad decides to go with her and when she goes to leave he just refuses and she left six months later in 1908 and he never came home again. He died there in 1922 under the watchful care of John Quinn. He never saw his daughters again although he did see Jack and William again and there's a lively series of letters between the entire family in New York Public Library.
0: Hemer O'Connor there talking with Eleanor Flag, and the music you heard comes from the 2018 album Souvenir Music from the World's Columbian Exposition of 1893 and was revived from the sheet music sold at the Chicago World's Fair of 1893 by composer and musicologist Dan Meyer of Lake Forest College. And there was a lick of Debussy in there too. Art, Ireland and the Irish Diaspora, Chicago, Dublin, New York, 1893 to 1939, Culture, Connection, and Controversies by Ema O'Connor is published by Irish Academic Press.